You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. We're going to talk about three things in the next three weeks. Things that might seem like not that big a deal always, but things that are so common to our lives that we really need to be detoxed from, whether we're a Christian or not. And then if we get rid of them, if we're able to get rid of them, I think it, it would help other things. Maybe other things you want to get over in life or be free from or things that you want, to, you, know, you want to feel joy, you want to feel peace. I think these things get in the way all the time. And so we're going to start the year by talking about a few of these things. Today, we're going to talk about giving up control. This, I think, is one of the big, the big things that we all, I think you'll see today from a, very, a passage from the Bible that we don't read a lot maybe, but we're going to see that this is so common in the way we think. So I'm not talking about control just by micromanaging, which I might do sometimes, or uh, feeling like you have to be in control of everything. Specifically, thinking about controlling your future, controlling the path of your life, controlling your dreams, controlling what you have to have in life. Especially as we start the year, it's very common to begin thinking about the next 12 months, to think about goals, to think about... What do we do at the beginning of the year? Resolution. We have resolutions. <laughs> it's because I have this thing stuck in my head. Because if anybody you know our friend Joey, Joey always asks, "What's your New Year's revolution?" <laughs> it's not because he just forgets that it's called resolution. So, and now I'm confused too. Um, but as we think about that, as people think about that, I think you'll see afterward. How does how do we think about that in terms of giving up this idea of control? Jesus said this, you might remember, it's, it comes up a couple times in the New Testament. He said, Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, they record his words, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. In other places he says, whoever loses their life for my sake. In other times he says, uh, um, if you protect your life, you'll lose it. Other times he says, uh, you, you, know, you must get up every day and take your cross, a form of dying to self. And follow me. But there's this idea, really, through this, what it means to, to know God in the way of Jesus, to know Jesus, is this thing of sacrificing your own life. And uh, as I was reflecting on that for myself, uh, from a, there's a Christian perspective to think about that. It kind of just makes sense to us if you're a Christian. Like, well, of course, that's what, it, that's what Jesus said. That's what it means. I don't know that we've taken it seriously, though, for what it practically means in life. But from a non-Christian perspective, if you don't know much about Jesus or, have, or call yourself a Christian, I understand why this idea would be very uh, weird or bad. If, if all I have is my life, what, more, what thing more precious do I have in my own life? Why would I give it up? I mean, I could be wrong about all this Jesus stuff, and so I would waste the one thing that I have, which is my life, if I do whatever it means to give up my life. Jesus says, don't try to keep your life. Don't protect it. Don't try to rule it. Don't try to, don't try to, don't try to run it. Give it up. Let it die. Give it to me. And then you'll really live. That's his promise. If you give up your life, you'll truly live. If you don't preserve your life, you'll find life. And so what does it mean, again, to practically do that? What does it mean to give up your life? So from a, from a, from a, if you're not a Christian, or you know people maybe that are Christians, 
I understand why that's a, that's a difficult thing to grasp. But from the Christian perspective, from the perspective of why it makes sense that Jesus would say something like this, is that what it means to be a Christian is to exchange a broken life, okay? A life that's actually, even though if I clean up my life well and I act like everything's fine, the scriptures say that I'm actually dead apart from a relationship with God. So the, the Christian offer, the story about Jesus is to give up your life that's broken and that's only, although there's great things about my life, in general, he says that it is dead, to give it up and exchange it for the life that I was made to have. For a fully human, fully real life reconciled to God in relationship with God with other people where I can fully experience life as it was made to be. So if that's the assumption, that it is actually good, that if you're to give up your life, it's because you're going to find something better. That's Jesus' understanding. That's what he's saying. So it's, it's, it's not that we should just, being a Christian, it's not that we should just obey God and do this, give up my life. If that's what it means, give up my life, do what God says, follow the rules of the Bible, attend the Jubilee Church service, go to groups, feed the poor, give money, do these things, and then you'll live. That's not exactly what he's saying. He's saying if you, it's not that we should, we, we should obey God out of obligation or abstain from certain things or not do certain things or do other things. To give up my life means that I'm finally free to find real life. I'm finally f- able to find the beauty of life, the peace of life, the joy of life. So if you can think for a second, it takes a lot of humility to think that this is going to be today. In and of myself, I don't know how to do life. I might think I do. I might think that I found a certain level of success or peace or healthy relationships. In and of myself, I don't know how to do that. And I don't know what I'm missing is the story of Jesus. I have no idea what I'm missing if I don't know him yet. And so it's not about following rules blindly. It's about giving up my old way of life so that I might find life as it was really made to be. Okay? Uh, to come to know God if God is real. To come to know him in a way that would change the rest of my life. That would even make normal life much better, much richer, much fuller, much deeper, that it would make my relationships more healthy, more deep, more real, and that I'd have a relationship with God that transcends everything, that transcends the circumstances of my life, that transcends poverty, bad health, anything. This is the understanding of Jesus, is that if you find real life, it's real life. It's not just, a, it's not just saying this because he wants people to follow a religion. He was making religious people mad. He's giving people the option to trade in kind of a half-life for a full life. And so when I'm able to do that, I am most fully myself when I'm in this right relationship with God. I'm most fully a human being, most fully who I was made to be when I'm in this relationship with God. So this is the background, maybe, to why it makes sense to give up your life. So just without an understanding, why it makes sense to give up your life as you know it. I know some of these things won't make sense yet or practically maybe for you what it means to give up your life. But the idea that you're, you're going to give up your life to follow Jesus is a promise that on the other side of that, it's better. Not that the circumstances of life are better, like I'm going to be rich or not cut my hand or something like that, but that inside, in my inner being, I will find life first. And I will know, and you'll know this because you'll see later, I have a quote from somebody It's like that shows that when... when you come into this relationship with God on the inside. Although you don't fake it, things in life are still difficult, and you still come up against things that are quite hard, and maybe even harder than before. You still know that it's worth it. You still know that deep down inside, this relationship with, that you have with God transcends all of it, and you wouldn't trade it for anything. This is why Jesus himself, as you know, died on the cross, 
uh, all the all the, the his early followers that you hear about in the Bible, even the person that wrote what we'll talk about today, died were were murdered by capital punishment because they wouldn't say that they that that what they believed about Jesus that he died on the cross that he rose again they wouldn't deny it. Something was ha- had happened inside of them that it was worth it to them. It didn't matter. You could publicly humiliate them, crucify them, kill them, and it was worth it. And so what is it that they found? What is it that they had that it didn't matter anymore? That life, the, the, the life had kind of changed for them. The priorities of life had changed. When we think about, I'm pursuing a career. I'm pursuing an education. I'm pursuing a relationship. I'm pursuing these specific dreams I have. They had found something that just trumped all of them. I keep using that word. That just trumped all of those things. They were able to give up control. Meaning, they had kind of let go of life, their own life. And we'll talk about what that means now. So this is a return to a deeply meaningful life. Detoxing to return to a deeply meaningful life. And in many ways, a simpler life. To give up control is a return to a simpler life. It's not popular today, especially when we read the scripture. Return to a simpler life of less anxiety, where I'm not too concerned about the path that my life will take. What I will obtain, what I will succeed at, what I will have or what I will not have. But to just totally give that up. James is a, is a book in the New Testament. I have one hand and I lost the remote now. <laughs> there it is. Thanks, Mary. It's okay. It's on this slide. Thanks, though. Um, James chapter 4, 13 to 15. If you want to look on your phone, you can look, but it's on the screen. James is a letter written in the New Testament by, by, uh, by James. And, and James as a letter is known for being a bit hard. Okay, sometimes it feels really harsh. But look at James as a sort of detox message. Detoxing is never fun. Okay? Fasting is usually not fun. But we detox for a moment that might be hard to hear so that you'd be healthy and happy long term. That's how James should be taken. Not like a religious thing that you have to do something or you have to perform a certain way. But think about it like a doctor that's telling you it's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. But it's going to hurt for a moment. And long term, you're going to feel much, much better. So this is James chapter 4. James says this, now listen, you who say, quote, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. I love this. is written more than 2,000 years ago, but let me say, today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to Montreal. I'm going to finish that program. I'm going to make a bunch of money. Then I'm going to take off a few years. I'm going to travel around. I'm going to come back. I don't know if I'll stay in one place for very long, but at some point, maybe when I get that age, I'll meet somebody. At some point, I'd like to move back to Vancouver. I'd like to have a house in this place. I'd like, to, I'd like to travel again. I'd like to retire when I'm 40. And, you know, this is very understandable, what he's saying. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city. We're going to spend a year there, probably no more. We're going to do some business. We're going to make some money. That's it. Okay. It's very relevant, right? What he's saying is, these people are making a plan. That's it, right? Maybe there's nothing wrong with it, okay? That's all they're saying. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to make some money. We're going to stay here. We'll do something else afterward. Think about this, though, in terms of the idea of control, okay? Just, just for the point of today of giving up control. The, the people he's talking about are just making a plan. Control is not bad, necessarily, right? They're not doing anything wrong. But they're making a plan, and they're, they're, they're controlling their life, right? It's my life. What do I want to do with it? I'm going to come up with a dream, a plan. I'm going to pursue it, okay? I'm going to pursue it no matter what else, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it, and it's going to happen. To be well, though, in the Christian idea, to be well or to be whole, to be a whole person, 
means that I can no longer direct my life. This is the hard part. There's a part of following Jesus in the real, even non-religious way, which is what we're about here. But the real biblical way to follow Jesus requires that we give up our life. But the reason that we're required to is because I was never made to direct my own life. And so to direct my own life will end poorly for me, not just for other people. This is what it's saying, is that if I choose to direct my own life and not think about God, this is the point, not think about God, but just direct my own life, it will, it will end less than it could have if I would have not done that. We all struggle with control, I think, to different, for different reasons and to different levels. Some of you might not relate to this as much as other people. But we struggle with control because we mistrust. We want to con- I want to control my life because I don't trust that if I let go, it's going to go well. Because I, I hold on to a few things so strongly that I have to have. That I'm scared if I let go, I won't have them. And then what will my life be worth if I don't have them? And so some things might come to your mind in the next few minutes of, what would your life be like if that dream you had never happened? You want to be with somebody and it never happens. You, wanna, you want this kind of career to do this kind of thing and you don't ever do it. And you come to the end of your life and you haven't. And you did something that you never wanted to do. That's to, live, to give up control, you have to wrestle with that. You have, to be, you have to say, okay. It gets into the real life where you say, you know what? Sir, for me, if I never do this thing, okay, God, I give it up. If I never do this thing, okay, God, I give it up. My life always looks like this or worse. Okay, God. But we mistrust. And, and then for different reasons we mistrust. And for really practical reasons we mistrust because we have had reasons to mistrust. Right? So that's why it's different for different people. Maybe you had experiences as a child or growing up or recently where you had good reason not to trust somebody again. We learn a long, long time. You know, it's, it, it's just kind of happening. You're trusting, you're not trusting. But it's after years of learning to either trust or to mistrust. So it's very hard to get out of. But to just recognize for a second that it's really difficult to give up your life. It's really difficult to let go. We fear that letting go, it'll be lost. Jesus' promise is that if we, if, we, if we preserve our life, then we'll lose it. But if we lose it, then we'll really find it. Right? So he says it's the opposite. This is what James then says. So you got the people that are going to town making some money. He says, why? Why do you do that? Why do you say that? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. James' point is that we're not actually in control. Okay? That's the first thing. That it's, it, sound, it feels really hard to give up control, to live in a, in a kind of life in which you're really letting go of things, and you're really in relationship with God, and, and uh, we'll look at what, how you do that. But he's saying, you actually don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay, so it's foolish, he's saying, to think this way anyway. It's foolish to try to control life anyway. To make plans like this, not bad to make plans, we'll see what, what the advice he gives them. But it's foolish because tomorrow, you're making plans. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to the city, I'm going to make a bunch of money. But tomorrow you could die. You're very foolish. You don't know what's coming. What is your life? And this is one of the hard parts of James. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I was reading this and I was like, that is not encouraging. That is really not encouraging. That's it. It doesn't get better after that either. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and it vanishes. And James is trying to take us to place, even though we... 
We talk all about God, you're God's child and he loves you. At the same time, you're a mist. You come for a little while and then you go. You know how many people die every day? You know? This always puts things in perspective to me too. And, and uh, I don't know if you've known somebody your age, okay, similar age to you, that has died already. Okay? You think about that, and for, maybe it doesn't affect everybody the same way, but I kind of have this moment of like, uh, besides sadness, like this uh, existential crisis, where it's like, we were living a similar path of years, of time, and they, they stopped, and I kept going. But that could be me, that could have been me. And then I have an existential crisis of dying, you know. But, but just think about that for a second, is that just to, just to, that's what he's asking them to do, is to consider their mortality, that to control life is foolish, because we're not in control. And I'm a mist that's going to come, and it's going to disappear, and in the, in the scope of human history, I'm just like a blurb. We make life, you know, especially today, that my life is meaningful, and I'm going to change the world, and I'm going to, and all those things are true, and we talk about that all the time, we never talk about this, but at the same time, it's not much. There, more than 7 billion people on the planet today. People being born and dying every day. Multiply that by thousands of years. It's not that big a deal, right? So what he's saying is, consider that. Consider your life and how small it is. You are nothing but a mist in the midst of a, of a huge story. You can't control anything. You don't know what's coming. Stop controlling things. Stop acting like believing that you control your future. You can still make plans, we're going to get to that, but in your heart, you must come to a place where you give up control of your life and your future. Remember, it's good news. It's got to be good news at the end. Instead, he says, so this, and this is James, after he, after he kind of lays that on you, he says, instead, so what should I do then? Instead, you, you should just say this. If it's the Lord's will, we'll live, and we'll do this or that. This is the end. Seriously. So this is what he says. So, so what's the problem with that? As a human being, if someone's got to go out there and do life now, what am I supposed to do? What are you saying I should do? Should I just freeze and do nothing and wait to see what happens to me? He says, no. You should say, you know what? If it's this thing called the Lord's will, I'm going to live, and I'm going to go to this or that city for a year, and I'm going to make some money. So what's the difference, he says? And it's not just words, okay? This is something of the heart. So it's not just saying... Matt, when you make your plans, make sure you say, if it's the Lord's will, because then you'll be good. Don't talk about plans without talking about God's will. That's not what he's saying. Is He's saying it's it from the heart. Don't say it from your heart. I'm going to do this or that in life. Without saying, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to do this or that. So what? What it brings up is this idea of the will of God. So first, every time, if you're a Christian and you've heard this word a lot, often the thing that comes up is, okay, then how do I find it? How do I find the will of God? The will of God meaning what God desires, what he wants for you. How do I find that? How do I know what it is? We're not going to talk a lot about that, but just consider this for today. If you want to know God's will, you'd, you'd be better off giving up trying to find it. Okay? And all the energy you would have spent trying to figure out what it is, you can pour into, into building a deep vulnerable, real relationship with God. So instead of trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, I know this is not everybody would do this, stop trying to figure out what you should do and be open to the fact that you're going to make mistakes. Okay? God's not asking you to find his will and follow it perfectly. 
you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should take that energy and you should build a relationship with God where sometimes you're going to know what you're doing is, is what God wants and sometimes you're not going to be sure. But if you're humble and if you follow this, it's not going to matter. So I build a, a real vulnerable relationship with God because if you do that, if you, if you build a relationship with God that's very real to you, you're going to struggle less with trying to figure out what God wants and what he doesn't. You're going to hear his voice. You're going to hear him saying, this is the way, walk in it, as it says. Or stop, don't do this anymore. Or go here, or talk to this person. That might seem weird to you if you're not used to that, but build a relationship with God that's real. Be open to the fact that I'm making mistakes. I don't know if I'm perfectly in line with the specifics God has for me when it's between two good options, but I'm not really worried about that. I think God's clear on what his will is for me to follow Jesus, to give up my life, to be in relationship with him and love him and love other people. That's what he's interested in. Less than if I go to college or Sullivan or if I go to, to, to Dawson. Okay? I, don't, I don't know that he's that concerned. There's more than 7 billion people on the planet. You know? There's serious things happening. Maybe he does, but I'm not sure that you're going to figure it out. Instead, you should say, God, if it's your will, I'm going to go here. And if it's not, you help me show me that I shouldn't. But I'm more concerned about living in right relationship with you and knowing you and loving you and loving other people and giving you my life. So the will of God. But then what does the will of God really mean? The will of God in, in like this passage, for example, and it says you should say the Lord's will, means in, in the language that it's written, it means the Lord's good desire. His, 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 his very good, best desire for you, what he wants for you. So imagine you have a father who's perfect and that sees all and knows all. So he can't get it wrong. And he sees you and he knows the best thing. That's God's desire for you. For many, many years now, my first resolution each morning is to attach myself to nothing but the will of God alone. I have learned that the will of God is the love of God. And by the outpouring of his grace, I have so merged my will with his will that whatever he wills, I will too. Therefore, I have always been happy. This is a quote by a homeless man, okay, who's currently homeless when he gives the quote. Somebody had come up to him and said something like, I, I really hope you, you have a, everything goes well for you today and you're happy today. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've always been happy. For many, many years now, my first resolution each morning is to attach myself to nothing but what God wants, if I can change the word, but what God desires alone. I have learned that, what God, wa- that God wanting things is his love. They're not separate. We don't trust God. That's the problem, okay? We don't trust God that he's real or that he's good. And so, therefore, it's hard to believe that what he wants is going to be good for me. But by the outpouring of this grace, I have so merged what I want with what God wants. That I want it too. You see, that's how it works. It's not finding his will. It's by coming into a place in which you have his will. Therefore, I have always been happy. So, this is why it's good news. It's what he's saying is that if I come into a place where I desire what God desires, it's not really going to be like giving up my life, actually. That's, that's Jesus' kind of strange upside-down philosophy about everything. Is that if I give up my life, I'll find it. If I don't give up my life and I control it and I try to get what I want, I'll lose my life. You think about this, just if you're wondering if this is for you or not. Out of all those people on the planet, I would guess that the majority of people live life not with James's uh, advice. 
I, I would guess that most people are not really giving up their life, or even myself, and saying, I just will what God wills. I think most people are taking their lives as they know it and directing them as best as they can and pursuing the things that they want. So just think about that for a second. And out of all those people, look at the results of life. Do, do most people become fully fulfilled at the, by the end of their life in what they've done when they've controlled and directed their own life? Of course, there's a certain amount of grace in the world and contentment and joy. It's not that. But in general, I wouldn't follow the whole swarm of people. What Jesus is saying is that actually if you do the opposite of that, if you give up your life, you stop controlling it, and you let go, and you say, God, I'm going to continue walking forward, but I'm going to start doing it now from a place of, I really want what you want, even when I don't understand it. God, and that means I give you this. If I never have that, I give it to you. I give you this because I just want what you want because it's going to be the best thing for me. Again, like I'm just a mist that, that appears and then disappears. How do I know what the best thing for myself is? How do I really know that I don't know the future? I don't know what's best for me. So what it requires, like this guy, is it requires trust. And I, instead of talking about trust, I want to just show you an example of what trust looks like. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, is, if you know the story, is in a garden. And he goes there to pray because he knows that he's going to, he, he knows he's going to be arrested soon. And by arrested, he then knows he's going to be taken and he's going, to be, he's going to be publicly humiliated and crucified. And he's struggling with this. Jesus is a human being. We believe that he's, he's God himself on earth, but he's a human being as well. And he struggles with this. And he's sitting there praying in the garden. And he's, he's, he's wrestling. This is, by the way, what a real relationship with God looks like. We say that, a real, deep, vulnerable relationship with God. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Father, this is what Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, if that's your will, if it's what you desire, if it's your good desire for me, take this cup, okay, it was about what's, cup meaning what's about to happen to me. Take this cup from me, but not my will, not what I want, but what you want. Let that be done. So you see what Jesus has a deep relationship with him where he can be honest with God, okay? And Jesus himself can say, Father, if you want, please don't, Please don't do this. I don't, want, I don't want to die like this. I don't want this to happen in my life. I don't want to go without these things that I see other people have and I want them. I don't want, to, I don't want this to happen in my life. But I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And this is hard. It's coming to a place where you can really say that from your heart. It's not perfection. It's not like every day it's going to be like, I just want what God wants. No, it's hard. This is why he's struggling. Jesus himself is struggling through it. But it's coming to a place where you realize this is what it is. And on the other side of that, on the other side of giving it up to him, <coughs> is life. And the perfect example of this is Jesus here. Jesus wrestles in a garden, and he accepts just after this. He accepts that God is saying to him, no, you have to do this. You have to go through with this. Jesus is, is both is, is dying and raising again for us. Is heals me. It for, he forgives me of everything I've done in the past, the present, or the future. He makes me into a new person. Okay, is having a relationship with Jesus. The Bible calls it being saved, being saved from all that's wrong with life, from the future of, of eternity apart from God, of everything that's wrong with my life now. That's what happens. But Jesus is also an example to us here of how we are to live as people. And what happens is, is as if he says, remember he says, don't preserve your life, but give it up, and then you'll find life. That's what he does. So he says, Jesus, I, God, Father, I want to preserve my life. But if it's not your will, then I'll give it up. And God says, give it up. And so then he goes to the cross. 
This is historic, historically happened. And he dies on the cross. He's, he's buried in a tomb. And three days later, there's many eyewitnesses. He rises from the dead. We can talk about the logistics of that another time, but he rises from the dead. So what happens is, is that Jesus gives up his life. He experiences death. And then he actually rises back to life, never to die again. So it's the image of what he's telling us. That if you, if you let go of your life and you let happen to it what God desires, you will find life in the end. Just like when Jesus does it, immediately we have an example that God's with him every step of the way. It makes no sense. He dies, the Messiah dies on a cross in front of a crowd of people that hate him. But then three days later he rises again and through his life now, he gives life to all of us. He's showing that as we give up our life, we really, really find. If we give up our life, we really, really find life. There's one quote that kind of says this here for you, just before we end. Jesus' voluntary disengagement from life. Okay, Jesus voluntarily says, I'm going to give up my life. Is his supreme expression of persevering trust. I'll finish it first. And it wins for him and every one of us fullness of life. And his blessed, obstinate, importunate trust ravishes the heart of his Abba, his daddy. Trust is the most important thing to God. And in terms of having a real relationship with God that would be good for you and change your life, trust is the most important part. Many people will write, and even in the Bible it seems this way, that if, if God comes to you and says, I, you know, I love you, Michael, my response should really be not I love you, of course, but I trust you. Because real, to really love God is to trust him. And so it's what Jesus is the example to us, that to have a real relationship with God looks like this. It's very simple. It just means letting go. And letting God be a father who I can trust, even though it's quite difficult to say, you're always going to be there. You're only going to have good for me. You have a good path for my life. And I'd rather you do it than me. I'd rather you set the future of my life, even if it looks nothing like what I've dreamed of. And it's trusting that that will be better. But the thing is, even without knowing the end of my life, when it will end, what it will have been, the path will be better. By letting go. Because what happens when a human being grabs onto their own life is it produces something called anxiety. It produces angst and fear because it's mistrust. I'm living out of mistrust now. And I'm doing something that a human being was never made to do, which was try to hold their own life in their hands and try to make something of it. It ends in burnout. It ends in anxiety. And even if you make it, if you make all those things that you had, your life will still end. And at that moment, I'm not sure that it would be enough for any of us, right? So what does it look like to no longer then, just for you, so we're just going to have a little reflection here at the end, just on your own. Maybe I'm going to talk for a minute, but kind of enter into your own space of like, what does this mean for you? What does it look like then to not live life or look at your life in terms of the circumstances of your life at all? What you do for work, where you go to school, who you know, just for a moment, nothing. Just your life. That God made. He loves you. And that's it. In and of itself, don't think about the things you do or where you come from or what language you speak. Just you as a person. What does it look like for you for just a moment to let go of all that? Just let it fall. You kind of accept just that life. That you've been given the gift of life. You've been given the gift to be here. But it's not your place to control or direct your life. You can make plans. You can have dreams. These are all good things. You know, you can make plans. You can have dreams. 
But you must first come to a place where your heart is disengaged from that in a way. Where it's first engaged in what God desires from me. I trust you, God. And then, God, God, I have these dreams. I have these things I want. I have these things I'm pursuing. But even in them, I, I give them to you. Like I push them into the realm of your will and what you desire. And you work it out. And I'll keep walking forward and I'll keep doing this. But, but you work it out. Because I trust that my life is better in your hands than in my own hands. That seems foolish. It seems foolish if you don't have a relationship with God. I understand it seems ridiculous. Paul himself says that if, I come to the, if we come to the end of our lives and I see that Jesus never rose from the dead, this is all false, it's all fake. You should pity us more than anybody. Because we should have just enjoyed life, partied it up, is what he says. But instead he says, take a risk and say, if you don't hold on to your life, if you lose it and give it to me, it's, you will find real life. Not just when you die, you will find life. This is true. But you will find real life now. Because real life cannot be found when you're controlling it. Right? Life is a gift, and you can't control gifts. You just receive them. And so think about that for yourself. What is it in life that you control? Think of something specific. It's my dream for my job. It's my dream for a relationship. It's my fear of, of death. It's my fear of, of sickness. It's my fear of losing somebody. It's my fear of being alone. It's my fear of never getting over this. Whatever that thing is that you hold on to, they're all good things probably. Okay? It's not bad to have. You shouldn't think the opposite probably. Whatever it is, you think, oh, what is that thing that I don't think I could trust God with that? I was going to do this today. I guess I'll still do it. When I first moved to Montreal, I would do this. I remember for some reason during that time, I would do this thing often for myself where I'd be sitting in prayer and I would hold my hands out. You can do that if you want. I only have one hand, but you can hold both your hands out like, like you're holding something. And I would say, God, what am I holding in my hand that I just need to let go? There's a... This is a prayer. I'll, I'll, I'm going to just read it here, but we'll pray it in a minute. Dear God, I am so afraid to open my clenched fists. You can imagine what you would be holding on to that you would never want to give him. And you might not be able to give it right now, okay? It's not, a, it's not a fake religious thing. It's just like you should know. You should work this out wherever you can. I am so afraid to open my clenched fist. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open my hands and discover that I am not what I own or what I do or what I dream or who I know, but what you want to give me, whatever that is. And it will be good. It will be right. But it's returning to a simpler life. You just see why this is, can kill some anxiety? What if you don't wait to the end of your life? Because this is what happens. I mean, I don't know. I, I've known people who are older. <laughs> You come to the end of your life and you, you gain a certain amount of, I've been told, uh, understanding. Things come into perspective a bit more, right? You begin to see what really matters and what really didn't matter and what you made a big deal of and what really didn't. You kind of wish that you would have spent more time on the things that mattered. You know, most people, when they're asked on their deathbed what they wish they would have done, spend more time with loved ones, probably not felt all the anxiety they felt over so many things. Some of them would say, I, I wish I pursued things that I never did because I was so scared. So this is part of it. It's not that you shouldn't do anything. In fact, this will probably, doing this, would open you up to a lot of possibilities because you're no longer living out of mistrust and clenching life and doing whatever you can to keep it together. But now you're kind of free to the possibilities that God has for you that you might have never seen coming or never known about. So instead of waiting till the end of life, what if you started living now? 
where you were able to let go. Jesus says, the secret to life is give your life to me. And then you will find real life. Uh, we're going to take communion in a moment. Uh, if you're not familiar with communion, communion comes from a story in, in the New Testament where the night before Jesus is betrayed, around the time that he's going to the garden, he's having dinner with his closest followers and friends. These are all historical things. So you can think about this for a moment. This happened on a date, on a calendar, at a place, at an address. They're sitting around a table, and Jesus takes bread, and he breaks it, and he wants to make a point to them. And he says, imagine this. So God wants us to empty our hands because he has something to give us. This is always the point. There's things in your hands I can't give you, but I can't give you life if you're constantly holding on to the things. And I hope you know, I'm talking to myself like 400% more than I'm talking to anybody here. Okay? You're holding on, so I can't give you what I have for you. So Jesus is saying to them, hear it now, this is my body that I want to give to you. I'm breaking it for you. Every time you eat bread, so as we do this, I want you to remember that, that my body is broken for you. In the same way it says that night he took the cup of wine, that's juice, he took the cup of wine that night, and he said, this is the new covenant, the new promise, this wine is the new promise in my blood. The covenant refers to this promise that God makes with us, that if you come to God through Jesus, if you want to have a relationship with God, and you come to God through the person of Jesus, what he's done for you, because you can't just come to God or else everybody would have relationships with God that were deep and meaningful. That's why we need Jesus. We're disconnected from God because who we are because, we're, because, because of what the Bible calls our sin, but our, we are, as human beings, disconnected by now. As you take the juice, remember that my death on the cross for you, historically as it happened, it was actually a promise that now you can, come, you can come to God and you can relate to him by this new way, which has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. That's the good news. You choose not to open your fists today. You still have a relationship with God. You still have a meaningful relationship with God. God's very patient. I mean, if my daughter told me, I don't really want to obey that thing that you want me to do. It's going to be pretty annoying for me, probably. I don't know if I respond well, but, but I'm still going to have a relationship with her. You know? As a parent, as a lover, God is perfect well beyond your parents or if you are a parent. But the good news is that if you open your hand, you can fully receive what he wants to give you. And life is so much more fun. If you've experienced that a little bit, life is so much more full and fun if you're not worried and holding on to the direction of your life and you're able to receive it as a gift every day. So we need to detox, just to end here. We need to detox from that. And then think about communion today as a type of glass ampule. Break it off and take it to remember. This is how you get out of it. To remember what we call the good news or the gospel. To remember what Jesus has done for you. That he's given you the ability. He's given you his life already. Taking that as a reminder that he's given you his life already and then there's nothing else that he won't, that he won't give you, that he won't fulfill his promises. If you're a Christian, uh, you consider yourself a Christian, and what that means is you have a relationship with God through Jesus. You've, you've asked him for a relationship with God. You believe that he's, you've given him. This is how it works as a Christian, so this should make sense for everything. You've given him everything wrong with your life, your sin, your life. You've given it to him and he's given you righteousness. He's given you peace. He's given you a right you know, he's given me, it's hard to even use the word perfection, but it's kind of the ideas in scripture. I come into relationship with Jesus. He gives me kind of the human, uh, the human level of perfection that I was made to have. God sees me as sinless, as perfect, as doing nothing out of anything but love, as fully trusting even, even though I'm not at all. And my love is fickle, and I'm worried all the time about different things. And he says that, because of this, because of what Jesus has done for me, God sees me like that. It's like God is this guy that's so joyful 
and you can't mess him up, you know? Ah, you don't get it, you don't get it, you're not seeing reality, and he's just always joyful. Doesn't mean he's not other things, but he's never not joyful. So as you come forward, if you consider yourself a Christian, take the bread and dip it in the cup. I'm going to pray for a moment. So if you don't consider yourself a Christian, but you'd like to have a relationship with God, I'm going to pray and you can just kind of follow after me. It's not a magic word because a relationship with God is how you get any other relationship with someone else, by talking to them, by coming to them on their own ter- by on their terms, by understanding them. So um, once you just close your eyes, I'm going to pray. I'm going to leave a moment of silence for you to reflect on what does it mean for you today as you come forward to take the bread and dip it in the cup to really give up those things. Father, I want to pray this first as well, that we are so afraid to open our clenched fists. Who will we be, Father, when we have nothing left to hold on to? Who will we be when we stand before you with just empty hands? Please help us to gradually open our hands and discover that we are not what we own, what we do, who we know, where we're from, what language we speak, how much money we have, what our dreams are, what our fears are. But we are what you want to give us. Father, would you help us to start 2017 by living this way? Would you fill us with excitement and dreams for our own life? Would you free us from the, 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 the sin and the difficulties of our life that we are sometimes tied up to? But would you also just free us to the point where we put our life in your hands? The good, the bad, the circumstances that come, that we would really be able to give up and desire what you desire because it's perfect. It's hard to believe that, Father, so would you help us to believe that? Father, for those of us that don't know if we have a relationship with God, would you help us right now to to take that step, Father? And you can just say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. And in my questions that I have, and in my doubts that I have, I choose to believe with any faith I have that what Jesus did for me in his life on the cross by rising again from the dead, what you're doing right now, Father, that that's for me too. Nothing. Everything I've done or not done in life, I give it to you. I'm imperfect, and that's what you require. So would you have a relationship with me, Father? I accept that. I accept that I desire to have a relationship with you. Help me to give up my life, too. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. It's simple. You just want us to have life as it was made to be. So would you give us the courage to give up and to start 2017 by detoxing from trying to control our lives, our futures, when we can. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.